In this episode of Real Christianity, I discuss the difference between obedience and legalism. This is an essential distinction for every Christian. In fact, without it, you're often going to mix up these two and make the gospel confusing. So get ready. All that and more coming up right now. Welcome to Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge. Now, as you know, this show is an audio and video ministry of relearn.org where our mission is to bring the church back to the Bible. Question for you. Have you picked up a copy of my new best-selling children's book, Jesus and My Gender? We've sold almost 5,000 copies in the past 90 days, and this book does not introduce unbiblical gender identities to your kids. No, it simply affirms your child's God-given gender. You can buy a copy at Amazon or from our store at relearn.org forward slash gender. Let's go ahead and get started. We are still in Romans, which is an incredible book. And for the past several months, we've had the privilege to hear Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter one, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes equally with the Jews and the Gentiles. And then he goes on to really defend that claim in this multi-chapter coordinated argument from Romans chapter 1, 18, all the way to 3, uh, chapter or chapter three, verse 20. In those three chapters, we learned a handful of things. I'm just gonna do a little bit of a review and then we'll move on. So we learned the impartiality of God's wrath towards sinners. We learned the universal jurisdiction of the moral law over all people, uh, Jew and Gentile. We learned that none are righteous, not even one. And we learned that just because the Jews were the seed of Abraham, that they had the possession of the moral law and that they were um, marked with circumcision, did not necessarily mean that those things brought about justification or salvation as a result. So we learned that every person's central need is to be found righteous and to have their sin taken away, to be justified or to be guiltless before their maker. And the great dilemma is that no person can justify themselves through obedience to the law because we can't keep the law. And even if we fail in keeping the law, at one point, we're guilty of all of it. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it, end quote. In other words, because we've all sinned, both in our original sin and our acts of sin, uh, obedience will never be enough to make an unrighteous person righteous. And this is why Paul says that for by works of the law, no human being will be justified. And so these words left both the Jews and the Gentiles with an inward sense of hopelessness. And Paul was essentially cutting off every possible way that a person might attempt to justify themselves before God. And so Paul did this so that he could stop people from looking to themselves for salvation and looking up to Christ for salvation, which leads to the climactic portion of the chapter in chapter three, which is the end of the chapter in verse 28, which says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So because justification was not by works of the law, but by the workless means of faith, uh, Paul closes chapter three by demonstrating how the gospel essentially eliminates all boasting. And so because of faith, um, and faith is uh, the means by which God has saved man. And faith is not a work, but it's actually a gift of God. Man cannot boast in his salvation. And so this is the immediate context for our passage right now. And I'm gonna go ahead and read here in a minute our passage, but we have to realize that Paul is a master of argumentation. And several times throughout the letter, you're gonna see him anticipate a response from his readers. And he's gonna provide a rebuttal uh, to his 
somewhat provocative claims. And so the claim we're going to be dealing with today is that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone and boasting is excluded before God. So to us, it might seem unnecessary to uh, see what Paul is doing, but to a pharisaical culture of the Jews, justification apart from works is like a knife to the jugular. That's like the whole Jewish culture is about justifying yourself by works. And so this is something pretty profound to say that the gospel essentially eliminates all of their grounds for self-justification or self-praise or self-aggrandizement. Uh, it's really attack on the Jewish way of legalism. And so this is exactly what Paul is expecting from the Jews. And his expectation is that someone might use Abraham. And we're going to see this. He might use Abraham, the father of their nation, the friend of God, as an example of a man who justified himself before God through the obedience to circumcision. And so to a Jew, if anyone could claim that they were justified by works, it was Abraham. And here in chapter four, verses one through eight, Paul demonstrates how even Abraham is justified by the workless gift of faith. And as a result, even the venerated patriarch of the Jews uh, was not an exception to the way of justification before God under the dispensation of the gospel. So to grasp the concept, I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 3, 26 through chapter 4, verse 3. So it's a decent chunk of scripture. You just follow along with me for a second. It says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what comes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. All right, so let's go ahead and work through chapter four, verses one through three, verse by verse here. In verse one, it says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So at this point, Paul is speaking to the Jews in the Jewish paradigm. Um, what I mean by that is that Paul understands that Abraham is the father of everyone who has faith. Uh, but as a hypothetical question coming from a Jewish paradigm, the Jews really essentially view themselves as the only legitimate children of Abraham. And so when it asks this question, what was gained according to the flesh, it's speaking to Abraham's circumcision. That's what, what was gained according to the flesh? Well, the flesh is talking about uh, his work of circumcision. So to the, to the Jews, uh, they viewed circumcision as an act of justification of making themselves right before God, or at the very least, as the means which to procure salvific blessings. And so the question that Paul is anticipating from the Jew is really, uh, of what use was the obedience of circumcision if it doesn't give a man the right to salvation? And uh, possibly another way of thinking about these questions is, you know, does Abraham's obedience mean nothing to God? Uh, can he not confidently stand before God because of his faithfulness to circumcision and to the law or to, um, you know, being the father of the faith? And this is an important question, even for us, because uh, if, if baptism or the Lord's table or obedience uh, or God's word does not secure salvation, then what value do they have? 
that's a valid question for us to ask. If these things don't procure salvation, are they really even valuable to us? And that's really the Jewish paradigm that's being asking, well, if justification is by faith alone, then what value do these sacramental things, uh, you know, Passover or keeping the Sabbath or uh, having the law or being marked by certain, do these things have any value? And so first we have to understand that obedience is always good for us. We are always the beneficiaries of obedience to God. God is not the beneficiary to obedience. We're the beneficiary to obedience. And so second, we have to understand that God extends to us a certain degree of grace uh, through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper in the same way that he extended a certain degree of grace in circumcision and the Lord's, or uh, in Passover. These become essentially physical practices of spiritual realities that teach us uh, important truths about the promises of God. And so for the Jews, it was pointing forward to the cross. And for the Christian, it's pointing back, uh, baptism in the, in the Lord's Supper is pointing back to the things that were fulfilled on the cross by Christ. And so these things are important. So while our obedience to these things doesn't produce salvation, uh, it, it does absolutely have a benefit. There's a there's a value in this, in uh, pleasing God and reaping the benefits of obedience, of learning spiritual truths, of being reminded by these physical practices that they're of value to us. And so Second uh, Corinthians 5, 9 says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So there's a distinguishing matter that we have to talk about for a second. Our job as Christians, as people that are saved by grace, isn't to obey the law or to be obedient to whatever passage of scripture simply because those things bring about justification. That's our salvation is not resting upon our own righteousness. No, we obey because we want to please God. And that's a beautiful thing. That means that our motive for obedience at that point is love instead of fear or duty. And so we do want to obey, but it's to please the Lord. It's not to actually secure ourselves and our salvation and our justification before God. So ultimately, Paul is preparing in this passage to address the Jews' poor covenant theology. They need to distinguish the difference between, you know, the sacramental practices and the way that we're justified. Um, Paul actually dealt with this a little bit in chapter three, verses one. It says, then what advantage has the Jew or what value is of circumcision? Again, he was already doing the same thing he's doing here. He's anticipating those responses to the idea that you're saved by faith alone. And so Paul is trying to disconnect this outward administrations of the covenant, circumcision, Passover, these elements, from the inward administrations of justification by faith. He doesn't want to have the Jews just throw out uh, that these things are just absolutely, like they, they were meaningless. Um, no, they weren't meaningless. Uh, they had a purpose under the old covenant. Um, just the same way we don't throw out baptism in the Lord's Supper. No, these things are have value for us. And so we don't throw them out, but they, they aren't the things that save you, which is an important distinction because there's a lot of people in Christian, Christianity that think that their baptism or their church membership or that they do communion keeps them saved. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with that. Salvation is by faith alone. And so he just wants them to see that these were physical signs and seals that prepared them for and pointed them to Christ. Uh, they weren't the thing that actually secured salvation. Uh, only faith can do that. And so in the next verse, he defends his claim further. In uh, 4.2, he says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So again, the works that Paul is speaking to primarily here is the work of circumcision. 
but also the outward works of the covenant, obedience to the law, et cetera, could be included here. And Paul is clarifying that even Abraham, the man known for his obedience to God, uh, was not justified by his works, but justified by his faith. Now, it's difficult to convey the degree of veneration that the Jews had uh, regarding Abraham. Um, the Mishnah, which is a collection of rabbinical writings on the law, uh, I found some quotes that said, quote, we find that Abraham, our forefather, had performed the whole law before it was given. For it is written, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, end quote. So there's this view of Abraham that was all, almost messianic in terms of fulfilling the entire law, which Paul is declaring that that is false. The earlier book of Jubilees says, quote, for Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Again, this is a false way of viewing this. The only thing that I could think about to compare the Jews' false view of Abraham is to compare it to the Catholics' false view of Mary. Um, this is a highly inflated, unbiblical, and untruthful view of Abraham. And so the perception of Abraham was so inflated that Paul had to bring some painful clarification. And so first, uh, Paul needed to remove the perception that the Jews had of Abraham. And second, he needed to teach them that there's a right relationship between faith and works. Uh, Sproul, uh, R.C. Sproul, who's one of my favorite theologians, said, quote, salvation is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Namely, uh, saving faith uh, will always be accompanied by good works. That's a reality. Saved people obey. Uh, those good works are not the means of your justification. They are the means to please God. And you may have heard the other famous saying, good works are the fruit of salvation, but they are not the root of salvation. We know that the fruit of salvation is good works because it's coming from the motive of a saved heart and a desire to please God and a desire to save yourself. But the root of salvation is the perfect obedience of Christ who kept the law and fulfilled the righteous demands of the law on your behalf. And his righteousness was imputed to you by faith. So essentially, Paul is demonstrating the great equalizing power of justification by faith alone. He's continuing to prove his point regarding the exclusion of boasting by showing that even the greatest man known to the Jews uh, had no grounds for boasting because he was not justified by his obedience to circumcision or obedience to the law. He was justified by his faith in his belief of God's promise. And so uh, as it pertains to being found right before God, Abraham and the thief on the cross, they're the same. Uh, Peter and the Philippian jailer, they're the same. Um, the former slave trader, John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, and the theologian, Jonathan Edwards, they're the same. Um, the murdering cannibal, Jeffrey Dahmer, who came to Christ, and John MacArthur, they're the same before the Lord in the way that we are justified. We're not justified by our works. We're justified by our faith in Jesus, which is a gift of God, by the grace of God, to the glory of God. William Newell writes, quote, to discover that the greatest saints have no better standing than the weakest saints is a lesson that is difficult for all of us. So now for the Jew to find that the great Abraham has nothing in the flesh, but must be justified by simple faith, like any other sinner, is a great shock, end quote. 
So ultimately, Abraham's salvation was never built upon his circumcision or his obedience uh, or his good works, but on the gift of faith given to him by God. So Paul Paul goes on to prove this in verse 3. He says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So first, let's just take note that Paul appeals to scripture here, uh, which indirectly affirms that Paul trusts the infallibility of the Old Testament. And in particular, he's talking about the book of Genesis, which is vital because the book of Genesis essentially sets the stage for the entire Bible. Uh, So just that's a little sidetrack. But second, Paul is referring to Genesis 15, 6, which says, quote, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness, end quote. So it's easy to minimize the degree of faith that we see in Abraham if we forget the context of the promise that was made to Abraham and the reality of Abraham's life at the time. And so this is important because it demonstrates a magnitude of faith that is supernatural and significant. Uh, Genesis 15, Abraham believed from a vision uh, that God was going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars. Now, this promise was made to a man who had no child and was married to a woman who was way beyond the years of procreation. In other words, Abraham believed in the impossible. I mean, this is this is a miracle that is going to occur here in Abraham's life because God gave him the gift of supernatural faith. In Romans 4, 16 through 22, which we'll get to in a few episodes, Paul illustrates the degree of this faith and affirms us uh, that our faith as Abraham's children uh, will be like his faith, which is important because he is the father of the faith and our faith will be like his faith. And uh, we all have the same faith because our faith is given to us as a gift of God. Um, And I'll read this passage for you. Again, it's chapter 4, 16 through 22. It says, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, quote, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Man, what a powerful passage of scripture. We are going to demolish that thing. We're going to eat it all up once we get there later in Romans chapter four. Ultimately, Paul is reaffirming that it's not just, or it's not man's work that brings about justification, but again, the workless means of faith. Now, to be clear, faith itself is not what makes anyone righteous. It's simply the means or the vehicle or the channel by which the righteousness is delivered to us. Uh, The thing that makes us saved is 
the righteousness of Christ. So we get that delivered through faith. And when the channel remains by God's grace, because it's God's power, it's a gift. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, he who began a good work in you will finish it. When that channel of faith remains by God's power, the righteousness will remain by God's power. This is part of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints that once saved, always saved. If you're truly saved, you won't lose your salvation because uh, the faith that actually makes your salvation possible, the channel that receives the righteousness of Christ is not going to go away because the faith is a gift of God that's being sustained by God and kept uh, on your behalf. And we see this plainly in the sinfulness of Abraham. If you've read the book of Genesis, you understand the poor decisions he's made regarding his wife, the sinful decisions that he made uh, with his relations with Hagar, 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 and um, the many sinful acts that he did in his life that didn't dismantle his salvation. And so again, it wasn't resting upon his obedience. It was resting upon his faith. And so like us, his righteousness was secured by the just and the justifier of the one who has faith. And for us, it's faith in Christ. For him, it was faith in the promise of God. Essentially, the Old Testament and the New Testament were both saved by faith. Just the content of our faith is slightly different. The faith is the is the promises that God made regarding the Messiah. And for us, it's in the righteousness and trust of Jesus Christ himself. And so again, all this points back to the mega theme of Romans, that justification is by faith alone in Christ alone. And for that reason, no man, including Abraham or you or me can boast. So hopefully that's helpful and edifying for your walk with the Lord, giving you a better understanding of the gospel so that you have greater biblical and theological literacy we need that in the church. If you're a regular listener to the show, would you just tap the stars in your podcast app? You can also leave a comment. Uh, if you leave a comment, I will read it because they are very encouraging to me. We have thousands of reviews and those reviews actually do help the exposure of our show and more people find it. Um, so we'd love for you guys to do that. On that note, thank you for listening to this episode of Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge. I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Also, would you consider leaving a review? You don't need to write anything. Just tap the stars in your podcast app. But if you would write a review, we will read it. Real Christianity is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, and of course, at relearn.org. You can also follow along on social media. Just search for relearn.org or Dale Partridge on just about every social media platform. Lastly, if you feel led to support our ministry financially, as we fight to bring the church back to the Bible, you can always do that at relearn.org forward slash donate.